Welcome to Engaging and Empowering School Libraries, a podcast that aims to raise the profile of school libraries by talking about topics that are current across education and teaching. This week, we're returning to a topic of online resources for school libraries. Back in November, we chatted to school librarians about how school libraries could provide online resources on a budget. This time, however, we're looking more closely at two resources that bring something else to teaching and learning. The first is Bedrock Learning and the second is MassoLit. And for those with very little budget, we have included some free ones for you to consider too. Tonight, I'm joined by my co-hosts and school librarians, Sabrina Cox and Ruth Maloney. And our guests this evening are also school librarians, Gareth Evans and Claire Brumpton. Welcome everyone. So tonight I'm gonna to start with Ruth. <laughs> We're gonna jump straight in. Um, why do you think it's important for school librarians to provide access to online resources, do you think? I think it's um, impossible to have a school library that doesn't reach out into the internet, into online in some way. I think the, the temptation, well, the, in fact, what students do is just go straight to Google and assume that that will be sufficient. Um, as with everything else, our job is to curate. And if we can pull through the best of those resources that are available to us, and they may not be the best resources, you know, I'm very aware that our budget doesn't stretch to what are necessarily the best databases, but I'm curating the best resources I can. And so whether that is a paid for resource or a free resource, it's part of my role as a librarian to provide that curation for the students. Absolutely. And what about what about um, about what about go, how about choosing what you need, uh, Claire? Do you want to come in there and tell me? Yes, yeah, sure. So I think that obviously everything is is based on your budget. It's based on the uh, the setting that you're in, the age group that you work with. In my case, I work with three to eighteen year olds, so the the, the needs of the different groups within within the school community is huge. Um, so I, I bear a lot of different things in mind when I'm choosing resources, but most of it is based on cost, requests from staff, requests from students, my professional knowledge, keeping up to date with what's available. Um, you know, I have an awful lot of meetings with, with reps and have demos and things that go no further. Um, because I try and you know build and, and curate the best collection that I can, covering as many different areas, age groups, subjects uh, uh, as possible. So I think I, th I think having a really good overview of everything that's available sort of on the market and then everything that's available uh, and suitable for your particular setting is is is, is key. Absolutely. And Gareth, what about you? What are you what are your usual priorities when you're thinking about online resources? Uh, so with me, like like uh, Ruth and uh, Claire were saying, it's the cost of the products, the key thing. Is it going to be good value for money? Um, and what the, um, looking at free resources, what are the benefits it's going to be to the students and the teachers who are going to use that online resource? And also the most important thing I've always been paramount with the resources we look, uh, use is, is the content on the site has education value and merit. And is it being well resourced, peer some stuff peer reviewed, uh, making sure that the students are getting the right information at the, uh, at the end of the day. 
Absolutely. So do you, would you buy something that you would later then remove and, and what would, what would those priorities be? So presumably as things like, I think Ruth was saying, you know, if something new comes onto the market, school libraries are in a position, aren't they, that, that budgets are tight. So you have to make decisions about what you're going to keep and what you're going to remove. Uh, are those sometimes difficult decisions, Gareth, do you think? Um, yeah. So it's a bit difficult because I, like I said, I, I haven't really, I mean, I've only just recently started looking at buying online resources directly through the library budget. So, um, I'm always been tiered to using e-resources that have been added on. So to, for example, to things I use as e-resources, but also in physical form is like, um, so I've got online access to the week junior, for example. So we've got the standard subscription, but we were able to get online version access. So we just share our subscription code with our uh, students and teaching faculty. So that's an action of nothing, doesn't cost us anything. Um, another one that we've managed to get for free for a year is um, Botanica magazine, which has just been launched. So they offered a lot of school, uh, um, uh, I think it was 100 schools last year, access to a free digital copy of the magazine and a physical. I know they're still offering digital access to schools, but I am actually really keen. The kids are really interacting and enjoying that magazine. So I will be continuing that next year and it's still good value for money. So you're sort of buying a small resource, but it has impacts on students reading engagement. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, that we, we all have that, um, those problems, don't we, where we have to, to make decisions. I think it's great that you're able to, to manage to get, you know, a free, well, a free trials. There are, there are usually free trials, not normally as long as a year, mind, but, but there are, aren't they? And, and it's, beneficial to actually be able to to go in and look and see and and you know gauge gauge the engagement as it were so no it's a great idea yeah i'm just being i'm just being for example i'm just trying out like you were saying the other one i'm just trying out for a year is issues online because like i said it's uh i look uh, uh i looked at it from the avenues and i just think it hits so many marks on cross curriculum and everything i just think it's a good uh is program it, that might that... be useful to to a lot of students so is that one that was originally just in paper form in a in a booklet type thing? Yeah, so they do, they do two tier models. So you've um, so they so they get articles, newspapers, reports from various organisations and bodies and outlets and NHS Choice, uh, Amnesty International, depending on the theme. So some of the things uh, some of the themes have been like uh, cyberbullying. Um, gambling for example so it covers a lot of stuff on the phse curriculum but it goes into other tiers as well so what they've what they've done now is they've got the issues online which is you got uh, access to all their current library as ebook format but you can also search the articles like a database and download them and print them and then what they do on top you can do as an add-on is you can buy their new books alongside with the issues online and you get like a full new books every quarterly um added to the library and then you pull off your old ones from previously but i thought for me for my personal value to keep the budget tight i've just gone for the issues um online package because it's under 100 quid but i thought it's an excellent resource it covers so much and i thought for that uh price i thought it was really good yeah absolutely ruth can i bring you back in what what um resources online resources do you, does your school library um buy into what are they what are your main ones we we pay for almost nothing okay we um 
there is an ongoing ever since I got there there's been an ongoing discussion about JSTOR um, my feeling is that that's extremely expensive bearing in mind the number of students who are going to use JSTOR we're talking about one year group uh, and only for a very specific sort of six or nine months of their course yeah. it's year 12 it's that you know that key part the beginning of their course while they're writing coursework and that's it and it's a huge amount of budget so I'm a bit sort of about JSTOR while I think it's a brilliant resource um, we have looked at all sorts of things I find I'm interested in issues online I haven't looked at that but um, it's certainly one I will go and look at the only thing that we pay for is Maslit um, and it's not something that I would necessarily have chosen and in some ways it's not a library resource because it's very you can buy module by module by module so the English department pay for their module psychology used to have a module and decided they don't want it anymore so in some ways it's departmental resource but okay. um it sits within my budget because why not um and actually I think it's a I mean it's a fantastic fantastic okay so, so let me back up we've, we've managed to jump onto massa lit sorry quickly. that's fine no that's good but see as we're there let's continue with that so so for, for anybody like me who has never seen it don't really understand what it is all about can you can you give us a brief description about what massa lit actually is okay so it's um video lectures and they are uh based on the curriculum so they look at particular exam boards or they look at uh, so they're looking at a-levels gcse's there's a lot of we're an ib school so there's a lot of ib content on there and these lectures are delivered by leading university professors or i was looking at one today on the gcse syllabus which is about medicine through time and it's given by an emeritus keeper at the Museum of Science. So they are leaders, leading thinkers in their field, and they are, they give a lecture, each lecture might only be 10 minutes. The teachers can assign them to the class, they can set questions. Some of them have quizzes attached to them, so the students can go away and watch them and answer the quizzes and test themselves. So it's a bit like academic YouTube, really. It's okay. that kind of access. Um, it was led by our, the, the school's access to it was led by our English department because one of the founder members was in some way connected to our old head of English. Okay. And so there was a foot in the door. So we were one of the early trialers of the English department. They absolutely love it. They rave about the quality of the talks given. Um, so along so, with along with the talks, then is there are there resources to help students guide them in in understanding what's being said, or is it just the videos? It's the videos and and sort of quizzes. So it doesn't come, you know, it doesn't have a nice set of links to resources, and that's but that's certainly something that as a librarian it would be very easy to do because mm. you could you know if if I know that the teachers are using this lecture for you know as a focus in this lesson it's you know you're right it's asking for that kind of thing um yeah. 
our school's use of it is very uh, patchy. And I'm trying to encourage more of it because actually as Masalit develops, they are uh, reaching out to more departments. So they're now using, involving the sciences, all three sciences have lectures. And I think we need to get to that tipping point where people think, actually, this is our this is our resource. This is what we pay for. Fortunately, you pay for it module by module. So, you know, I I can add on the more modules you pay for, the less you pay for each one, you know. But um, so if you only buy one module. So, so three, by mod, sorry, by module, so you're talking about like the department. So subjects. if English literature okay. by their module, that might be 300 pounds. I can't remember what it is. If I then add on history, both of them might come down to 280. So okay. there's that sort of thing. But they're not really about, um, they're not a one-stop shop by any means. They're a pinpoint of, of somebody excellent, you know, talking about the, the resource, the, about the uh, subject. So it, that's their niche, really. It's the level of the people that they've got giving the presentations. Okay. Uh, Sabrina, can I bring you in? Sorry, I can't find my mouse. That's um, all right. So, Ruth, I'm yeah. literally, I've got the site up in front of me, actually, because it's like, oh, six form stuff. Um, so would you use this then as, like, wider reading for subjects um, or, like, inquiry-based stuff that you want <laughs> students to do? Yeah, so we use it in several ways. The teachers use it in class um, and they might play a lecture and then you know they'll talk about it or it's part of their lesson. I would definitely recommend it as a research resource for students writing extended essays. I would say to them, have you gone and looked to see whether anybody's talking about this on Massillet? Because you know, if that person is talking about it, no doubt they've written about it as well. And no doubt they're talking about things that you might go and find other resources that would help you. It's a really good starting point. They're familiar with it and therefore it's accessible to them. Um, I would definitely use it. I'm about to change the way I do my year 12 inductions um, to make them into a mini inquiry, to make the whole induction process into a mini inquiry. And I shall certainly be using Massalit for that because it's a really good resource that we have actually paid for. Um, so it's good to introduce them to it uh, nice and early on. And I think it does have that multiple uses. I, you can set up classes and I can assign uh, things. It has all of that kind of, then the teachers can see, has the student watched the essay or whatever. Um, but actually just as a resource on its own, um, it's uh, really useful in a, in a variety of ways. Okay, so it's presumably it's sat on a, on a um, your school uh, system somewhere that- It's cloud-based. So you just log in, it's just a website and you log in. Okay, so um, you have to direct your students to it, presumably, in order yes. for them to find it. Yeah, yeah, and it links through, well, either it's, you know, the teachers share the URL, which is what their favourite way of doing it is, or yeah. it links directly from uh, from our library catalogue and where there is a seamless login because it's all on SSO, but no teacher would have got that quite that far no, um, no. so we need education of teachers so it's yeah. funny that's quite an interesting resource because it's obviously something that when teachers know about it they are keen for the students to use 
but also by the library staff knowing about it, you can use it from a different angle. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, no, it sounds good. It sounds good. Um, yeah, fascinating. So thanks, thanks, Ruth. I'm going to move no, on to Ruth. Gareth. Claire, we will get to you in a minute. <laughs> um, Gareth, so it's your fault that we're talking tonight um, about online resources. So, so you interested me in a conversation about bedrock learning. So just like Ruth, can you describe to me what bedrock learning is and why you think it's important? Yeah, so bedrock learning is a literacy-based programme designed to be used by students from key stage through all the way up to year 12. Um, we um, Bedrock does use multiple avenues. Uh, we use the what they call their core um, curriculum for it. So... Um, Bedrock start is a vote. Well, its main core is a vocabulary element development program. So it teaches students tier two vocabulary words. Okay. Uh, so they learn the definitions of the words uh, so that you can classify them as high frequency words or academic words. And the way they, uh, the way Bedrock works is they link these vocabulary words into different curriculum topics. So uh, covering a range of fiction and non-fiction uh, topics. So some examples is learn about Rosa Park, Mahatma Gandhi, Are Computers Bad For You, uh, Lady in the House, learning about the lives of Henry VIII's wives. So it's, uh, so it's a mixture of fiction and non-fiction. Okay. So students learn how they learn a bit of uh, subject matter in different topics, but also developing their vocabulary at the same time. So the way the program is structured is the students do like an alpha test at the start of the program when they log on for the first time and they're placed into block levels. So each block is equivalent to a school year, so block three being uh, year three, all the way up to block 12, which is lower sixth form. And then they, the students then follow a pattern of topics during that time. Um, and what it's a rip, it, um, each topic is broken down into eight parts. So in each topic, the student will learn a list of words between 18 to 30 words. Um, at the start of the topic, they do a pre-test to see if they already know the vocabulary for that topic. Then they do a series of six lessons, uh, which are linked to the words. So at the start of each lesson, they read a passage of text linked to that topic. And the keywords will be highlighted in orange on the text. They, read, uh, they can click on the text and they learn the definition of the word how it can be put into a sentence and also an image of the word as well. So it's, it uses a lot of uh, visual auditory and kinesthetic learning. And then the students will do a sequence of exercises. So it will be looking at uh, uh, similes and antonyms of words or comparison of words, and then also how they can put it into their writing as well. And they need to pass each lesson to move on to the next lesson this, uh, in the topic. And then at the end of the topic, they do a post-test and they should improve and see a higher score on the uh, definitions of the words they learn. But the other thing I like about bedrock learning from the vocabulary side is it's also a retaining program. So students, if they're struggling with words, they will, in between the lessons, they get recaps and reteachers. So sometimes it might be that the system will test the student again on a word that they might um, need to remember and just see if they know that word or test them on a word they might have learned previously in the program or just refresh them on the word as well. So it's it, it keeps that multiple uh, recycling of learning, retaining it as well. And the, um, 
they also the students can track all the words and all that stuff in their word organizer as well so i just think that's really good it, is, it sounds interesting so can you can you tell me how it's used within the curriculum so is it uh, is it an add-on is it something that's part of the curriculum no so we use it as our english homework now so we uh, so it's our core english homework for our key stage three students so uh the way we set it for our students um the traditional way is they um bedrock encourages students to do two lessons a week on the program we slightly do it do a little bit differently. So we call the, the test and the lessons elements. So we ask our students to do two elements a week on the program uh, for, and that should just last about 30 minutes each week. But we do have some students who might do more if they're engaging with the program. And we've got some students who might do four or six elements a week. And we've got some students who will do it every day. The only good thing about the program is it does put a rotation stop on students going through so much content in one day so it will stop the student after completing two lessons it won't let them carry on with the program until the next day okay so is it so is this is making assumptions then gareth that, that students have got access from home in some way yes yes the students do have access to it it's on like i said it is our homework base so yes they do have access to it at home so uh, for our students they just log in with their um uh, their school email address and password and they just got instant access to the program straight away from home and it can be used on uh, multiple devices so um, it can be used on the phone a tablet or on a laptop computer okay can I bring can I bring Ruth in yeah I've got a couple of things so Gareth do you uh, leading on from Elizabeth's question really do you supply devices to your students um so we don't, well, some of our, no, we don't technically supply uh, devices to our students to use the program. We, we advise that the student has their own device. But what we do within our library lessons, if a student uh, just needs a bit of support in using the program, they can use our school terminals during the library lessons to have an opportunity to catch up with their homework. And also, like I said, we've got the facility, uh, we've got the facility students can use uh, the Learning Resource Centre before and during social time and after school to come in and use them resources there. The only, the add-on to it is because I know the program pretty well and the content, um, I can give them a bit of extra support in using the program if they're stuck in our exercise and just need a bit more guidance. Um, and the other thing I was going to ask is, I can see how it would support those who were, whose vocabulary was weaker. How does it stretch those whose vocabulary is is. I mean, if, if you do the test and you already know the words, what happens? So, no, and that's, no, that's a good question. So what we do with our students is, so like I said, they are, when they start the program, they're assessed on where they, they'll be put onto the block. Now, what we do with our students is, if we, um, we monitor, well, the system does it on ourselves. So we monitor the system. So if a student scores 94% uh, over two topics on one block, then the system will automatically move them up to the next block. But I will say some of the words they use in some of the topics and that are very complex words. And I will mm. say some of the words I've come across, I've never heard of before. So it is a very in-depth. So it does use quite in-depth academic words. Um, also, 
myself and the uh, myself and our head of Key Stage Three English, we do monitor the program uh, during the course of the year. So we do monitor how the students are doing on their lesson levels and all that stuff. So we find the students scoring quite high on the high eighties to low nineties. We will also consider moving them up a block as well uh, yeah. if they're making good progress in that. So we do have students all across the range. We've got some students who might be who might be in year seven and will be on a lower tier block because they're still developing their literacy. And then we've got more able students who might be in year eight and they're actually we um, they might be on the year uh, block eleven, block twelve content. The only the only good. They sorry yeah. have they made that association between i'm in year eight and this is year 12 content you're calling it block 12 content but do you think they actually know we we don't it's a bit of a hard question i don't bring up in conversation that much about the year differences i i, I normally encourage the student this is uh, the, the program is matched to your ability yeah but um we don't compare i i try my best to not avoid talking to students about which level they're on and what the other students on we don't i don't share that information yes they can no, see no. on the screen if they want to discuss between themselves that's fine but i don't tend to intervene with that and make no, judgment no, of that no. no no absolutely yeah can i please um, yeah okay so i've obviously looked into bedrock learning quite a lot i've done the trial demo and everything and i really liked it but one of the things I was told if they could do this on their phone. So if they haven't done the homework, they can sit on the bus and do it on the phone. Is that practical? Do your students ever do that? I can't. I have seen students do it on their phone in school. And uh, yes, I have seen it. Uh, I've seen students doing it on the corridor during break or lunch. Um, I I don't, we don't judge we, I don't judge the kid, what device the kid used the uh, uh, done their homework on at the end of the day. What we what we like to see is that they actually are completing the work, uh, homework every week. So what we do, what we do, which is one of the brilliant brilliant things about the program, is every week. So we set up our classes and the students are assigned to that class. And what we do is every so we set our homework every Friday, and the students go until the following Thursday to complete it. So on Friday morning very early in the morning i will um, i will get all the student reports for each class and it will rank them how many lessons they've well, how many elements or lessons or tests they've done and you can see their schools who hasn't done the homework for the week so we can actually track that straight away so the way the way we run it in my school is i do with all the praising and the award side of stuff to help cut down on marking time for our english teachers and then the english teachers will focus on the students who have not engaged with the program and just trying to give them a bit of extra support and sometimes i will come in and give uh, sometimes we can talk to the student my uh, why the reason they're having issues so it's uh, one of the common issues maybe sometimes they forgot their login they've they've locked themselves out of the computer forgot their password so it's just that little little thing okay that's fixed we can sort that out so um and we try and support the students. We'll talk to the student if they're struggling with the program. We just find approaches how we can support them with the program. It might be so. Um, a, uh, example could be a student's finding the content on the current level too difficult. So sometimes we ha have a discussion. I'll have a discussion with the English, uh, our head of key stage three English or the teacher, or, uh, and then we might decide just to move them down a block just to see how they can get uh, get on with the next one. And it does work sometimes. So we we do try our best to support our students and see uh, try and support them as much as we can with using the program 
So, so what really interests me is the is the tier two vocabulary. Now we've had I, I've had various discussions, and I think I even did some training on reading for learning, which talks about the fact that it's that tier two vocabulary that often gets missed because obviously the tier one is your everyday vocabulary that people use all of the time and you're very you know very familiar with and the tier three vocabulary is that very academic the kind of um words that you'll only find in in a science lesson for example so the science specialists will make sure that that vocabulary is is done um so I suppose what I'm interested in is is how much time so can the library as an extension to bedrock get more involved because you know that they're focusing on the tier two vocabulary gareth okay so um just just before i step onto the library today i i'm um talking about the tier three bedrock also actually does deal with tier three vocabulary okay. as well we don't use it in our school search but they've got they've got a program called, uh, an additional called uh, bedrock mapper so it's a tier three design program. So it deals with, um, which is more taking it to the, this is where you can go cross curricular, where you can um, share it with teachers and teachers, uh, they've, they've created loads of peer test definitions of words and all that stuff, which uh, uh, teachers can sign to a child. So if they were looking at astronomy, for example, they can look at the, they can, the science teacher could sign them terminology or scientific words for tier three, for the science of space and uh, me so that's another thing they have developed but um we we haven't bought into that because uh, that's where the t uh, that's more on the more expensive side of bedrock so we haven't we haven't bought, uh, we haven't explored on that side of area but we're going back to engagement in the library what i find with for my for my benefit from you um as i as the kids see me as sort of as i do all the introduction to bedrock I do all the support and the awards and that. The kids sort of see me, uh, uh, the English teacher, but they also see me as another person they can come and speak to if they've got any issues with the program and all that stuff. But what is sort of been the benefit of moving over to Bedrock is the kids are developing their vocabulary, but it's also because we've we moved away from a previous reading program, which I won't say the name, but um, we it's been able to benefit our kids in developing more time to let the kids enjoy reading and building our reading for pleasure uh, environment to the kids so um, we're looking at uh, we bought more in-depth uh, fiction uh, non-fiction books more depth stuff that kids are interested in so it does help them engage and they do find it I do find I have had a couple of students saying that the programs help them understand words and understand more non-fiction text and that's also been expanded to the uh, wider school so we do use the tier three vocabulary in subject lessons so we've built on a our school's now built on like a rich vocabulary uh, support curric uh, curriculum. So teachers in our school uh, deal with the tier three vocabulary, but they're also uh, supporting kids in reading wider text, reading academic text in lessons and all that stuff. So I can then show students the resources that we use in the library from using Bedrock, our wide, uh, wider vocabulary program, and getting kids to take out more books. Fantastic. It, sound, it, does, sound, it does sound fascinating. Can I, can I bring Claire in? Um, because because you know if you don't have a system like like bedrock, that tier two vocabulary is something that most students don't necessarily come up with. And if you don't have a pro program like bedrock, 
what do you do? <laughs> is there something, is there a way that we can guide our students? <laughs> Tough question. It is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that there are ways of doing it and some 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 of the work needs to be through um, curriculum specific resources yeah. and some of it needs to be through general reading resources I think so but also but also maybe maybe keywords within the curriculum so if a librarian was working directly with the the teacher each subject has curriculum tier two words that they have to uh, you know ensure that their students know by the end of the year don't they or end of the project or the topic so I suppose without something like bedrock the there is a an opportunity for librarians and teachers to collaborate on recognizing that that vocabulary is needed and then maybe maybe um displays of the words and um, yeah i th- I, th- I think there's right you, level know, books. you can use displays you can use um um uh, an area of an online portfolio if if the school uses that um also I mean in in my particular case because I work at an international school the majority of our students are not um first language or home language is not English right so most of the students that I'm working with are are multi bilingual or multilingual um English is the language of instruction but they all also have lessons in other languages and what are the other things that we have to consider and more and more schools are starting to have to consider this as as they start integrating more students who speak a variety of different languages into into any school environment, you need to start thinking about how um, how it works from an English language learner's perspective as well. So you've got the you've you've got those students who who speak English at home and those students who don't, and obviously they they start from different places. They're also using maybe subject specific language in a different language. Absolutely. Um, and it, so, so one of the things that, that I have to do and, and my school has to do is to try and balance the development of, the, of the, that language in English, but also in a, a range of other languages, in about 40 other languages as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, no, interesting. Ruth, can I bring you in? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, tier two vocabulary. Remind me where I know we've had this conversation, Elizabeth, and I remember at the time thinking, oh, yeah, I know what that is. So it's not the hyper scientific or the not the hyper specific subject terminology. So it's it's things like analyze is a tier two vocabulary. Um, Of course, you're going to put me on the spot now, aren't you? (laughs) Well, so I'm just thinking (laughs) that. So it's the kind of language that comes up in exam questions, isn't it? Yeah. All so it's, those... it's not the kind. It's not the kind of language that comes up, or the words that come up, um, uh, when you are talking generally. It's very usually subject specific, but it, no, it's not. It's usually across subjects, but it's non-fiction. So, so that's what they say. The tier two vocabulary is not very often written in in the fiction. It's written in your nonfiction texts. So you are less likely to come across them, even if you are a great fiction reader. So we need to make sure that our 
good readers are are reading and accessing non-fiction text so that could be a non-fiction book but that could be newspapers that could be online you know that that kind of thing it's a different kind of vocabulary that you don't find generally in fiction I think Lind, um Alison Bissafure talks a lot about it so if you haven't okay. seen what she's had to say about it it's certainly worth I'll, I'll link yeah. to that later yeah 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 does that help yeah, yeah. I mean, it just seems to me that 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 is a perfect opportunity for librarians Ooh. to be in the classroom, you know, discussing that. Because one of the things that I uh, want to work on with year eight is this keywording idea. Well, sure, you know, in any subject, then the keywords need to be things like not just okay, we're in history and we're learning about the black death or whatever so what terminology are we going to come up with but they also need to be all those words as well yeah um yeah. and and what and how they work um yeah, yeah. let me and, bring and actually, oh, go on, sorry go on. what go on. sorry there we've gone off on I, I no no it's just, fine it's important the, the difference actually between analyze this in english and analyze this in science i mean those are like they're a world apart yes and that is a subtlety that i would be impressed if bedrock can teach i mean yes. presumably it's teaching it through the text it chooses presumably. but i mean that's quite a nuance to yeah. explain I can i bring gareth back you had your hand up do you want to come yeah so there? so just just to make um i agree with everything you said with the tier three being more pursuant to subjects and tier two being more uh, hyper frequency words um what you were talking about displays and work stuff so what bedrock does in i i can show you so what we've done it well i did i have just taken it down for the library but we put all the blocks and all the topics and all the words all across the library wall in our library so the kids can actually see what words they're going to be coming up with and they sometimes i might even uh i've done it with a couple of groups in the past where I can sometimes say, okay, why don't you just go and grab a dictionary out and why don't you have a look at these words? So it's just, so sometimes we may not use the Bedrock program, but they might just have a quick look and see what the word is in a dictionary. Um, also, um, also just saying about developing the uh, understanding of words and all that stuff. Um, one thing I did, uh, Bedrock has sort of expanded um, since their vocabulary principles so vocabulary is their sort of big thing the other thing that um they have also done is they've developed um they've taken the vocabulary definition words and all that stuff and adapted it into a gcse english analysis and terms uh, unit okay so so it supports uh, so they do different topics covering like work uh, sorry so uh, like poetry structure poetic devices uh, uh, type of keywords you're going to discuss within an English language or English literature paper. It also gives them quotations where they can, and examples how they can use that uh, uh, defined keyword within a uh, within a literature text and how they can structure their layout of a question as well. So they um, so we've um, so for myself I've been piloting this year. So I've just been looking at the GCSE area of bedrock. And we've been using it within our alternative revision unit at our school. So these are students that are not in mainstream education and they're in very smaller groups. So with the key stage year 11 students this year, I've actually been supporting them 
with using the uh, GCSE modules on Bedrock, and they've been learning their terminology and all that uh, through that way to help them with, with their English literature and language exam, which they're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks. Okay, I think on I think on Bedrock there might be there might be a list, a free list of Tier Two vocabulary because I'm sure I shared it with somebody recently. Yes, um, you you are right. So you can get a poster with all the blocks and the words absolutely. So, uh, so with their core curriculum. Yeah, so um, what, we, what we could do is we could share some of the, the tier two vocabulary. Yeah, no, 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 that's in no, the show no, no. Notes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the two tier vocabulary has been endorsed. So there's been a lot of evidence by the endowment EFF, I think. The, oh, I can't yeah, remember. I think the, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the EFF. I can't remember the full name of it, but it's uh, there are education foundation that. Uh, do a lot of research looking at resources and all that stuff so there is a whole paper looking at the tier tier structure of words and also and how you can implement it within school so if i can find that paper i'll share that with uh, you uh, and the group yeah um, the, the, yeah the only other thing i was just also going to mention with bedrock as well which um which is another thing they they do um which is part of the core program is they also do uh, a grammar program as well so they do two levels you so you do your foundation and your advanced level and it teaches you the basic like word classes uh, sentence structure and punctuation skills and other areas of grammar what i do like about that one is that they've got so it's the they still use the top they use fiction topics for them but they use interactive videos so at the start of the uh, start of each uh, lesson they teach you a video about the skill you do several exercises and then at the end they use the text or the fiction text related to that topic they take one page and they actually look at it with taking out so for example taking out the verbs of a word and seeing how it sounds without the verbs and then they add them back so the students can see the comparison in the writing as well which i just think is really good yeah. and the web also with the grammar they do a, a set of topics for primary school and set topics for secondary school so it keeps the interest balanced. It, it sounds like it's a huge resource, absolutely massive. So so thanks very much, Gareth, for telling us all about that. I'm just going to move on to Claire, because we've done a lot of talking about, about um, resources that we buy. Um, and there'll be some librarians or teachers listening to this thinking, well, that's all great, but we've got no money. Um, so, so Claire, you've made this fabulous um, resource uh, that you shared with me last time we had this kind of discussion. But can you just pick out one or two maybe of the highlighted ones that you use regularly or you point your yeah. students to regularly? Um, yeah, I, th I think one of the things that's important is uh, for, for people to know is that there is a huge amount of that is free. And I've got to caveat this with the fact that I do actually have quite a healthy budget for paid subscriptions. Yeah. So the, the free subscription, the, the, the free content that I use very much supplements a, a wide range of of paid subscriptions that I um, that I do buy into. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention, because a lot of people don't seem to be aware of it, is uh, the FT. Um, all six forms are eligible to register for free access to the FT oh. uh, online. So it's not a complete. Uh, it, it it is a slightly condensed version of the online content, but every every teacher and every student in within a post 16 setting is eligible to join the only um, criteria is that the first time you log in and you search for your school you have to log in from a school device or from from the school ip address 
Okay. Um, and you have to use a school email account. Right. And every year you have to resubscribe. That's purely to stop people who've left the school uh, continuing well, to, 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 but it doesn't cost anything. Uh, it's something that I share with our uh, diploma students at the start of every year. And I share with all of our secondary teachers because the majority of our secondary teachers teach both in the middle years and in the diploma programme. Uh, so do, so do, you, do you find that students struggle with that kind of resource? Only oh, because, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, only because they're not used to reading such high quality, difficult writing. Yes. And academic our, writing, I suppose, is what you're going to get from the It MT. is. And, and our, our diploma students, a lot of them do um, business and or economics. Um, and so it's, it's mainly pushed through those subjects right. that they should be reading it regularly. Um, but at the very least, it's used within the classroom environment as well. And it's used okay. in it's, it is used in other areas of the curriculum. But business and economics is the place where it's most heavily used. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's, so that's good. Gareth, have you got a yeah. question? Sorry, I'll, I'll let Claire finish, but I, I had some other ones, uh, suggestions that might be useful for free resources as well. I don't know All if Claire right, wanted well, to share. Perfect. We'll come back in just a second. Uh, you right. might have to. You might have to give me a list at the end. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Let me just ask Claire if she's got any more. What, what? Yeah. So, um, so Ruth mentioned JSTOR earlier and how expensive it is. Now they do offer um, free access. Um, I think the original offer was six articles every thirty days. They did increase it to a hundred articles every thirty days. Um, during COVID, I don't know if they've brought it back down again, but that might be something that some people might want to look into. Um, because if if you've only got sporadic use of it or only a very small number of students using it, then that might be the way to go. Um, there's a huge number of open access. Um, if, if you're looking at academic um, articles, now I do quite a lot of work with extended essay students, and I also do a lot of work with um um, another project where I, I need students to access fully academic articles. So places like um, ResearchGate, Core, Directory of Open Access Journals, I use those and a number of others that are quite similar that, that, that give more and more universities are trying to give free access to um, or to provide open access to as much academic writing as possible. Um, so it, it's a bit hit or miss. You don't always get exactly what you're looking for. But one of the nice things about ResearchGate is that if you can't, if if what you're looking for isn't there, or if, if it's not freely available, you can actually email the authors. And if they're happy to send you a copy of the article, and I do that all the time uh, for okay. students, and I regularly get things sent to me. Um, something else I wanted to mention was the conversation, uh, which okay. I think is one of the best um websites available um the the quality of the writing is amazing uh mainly because everything on the website is written by academics i know it's, it's really irritating they won't <laughs> let me write for them <laughs> uh the fact that and something that i teach um so i i use the conversation from uh sort of year nine up right up through through um the top end of the of the middle years program and then up into the diploma program it's very accessible isn't it it's very accessible because yeah. it's all magazine article style yeah. but yeah. what's lovely about it is first of all you can always tell where the author is um is working where they're an academic because it it links to you, you know you, you have information about what university they work at 
also if the article is specifically linked to an academic paper you can normally get um a link to that ac academic paper within the article so yeah. you can you can show students this is what it looks in magazine format this is how it looks in the, you know this is this is where it links to the to the real article and yeah. here is the 40 page article with an abstract and with you know the, the the fully formed journal article i really like that um and i'm very aware lots of this is is very aimed at the top end of secondary okay, i was just about to say is there anything lower <laughs> <laughs> um the, a lot of what i use uh, for lower down the school is um a lot of it is quite has got is quite american based right. things like fact monster which okay. is great but because because i'm in an international school i use i use resources from all over the world but yeah. i know that some schools would prefer especially you know uk schools would prefer to use school um resources with british spelling and and you know the the the, the sort of language um patterns that are used in absolutely in british english um, but another um, type that I discovered a couple of years ago that is really useful is one called Newspapers for Schools. It is free um, and it you can basically search for any, pretty much any newspaper article that has been published. The only downside is you can't flick through it like flicking through a newspaper, so you have to know what you're looking for. Right. So if you know that three days ago there was a story in The Guardian or in The Times and it was about a particular topic, you can find it. But if you're just browsing to see what's available, that's it's it, it's not very random. Yeah. 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 But but quite often I have teachers emailing me saying, you know, do we have a subscription to such and such a newspaper? Because there was an article in it last week and I've thrown mine out or, yeah. you know, I saw it online and I forgot to bookmark it, that sort of thing. Yeah. So for those things, I can I can find them the article and you can just download it as a PDF. Okay, so that's that's, that's really handy but as I say you've got to know what you're looking for yeah. um I have thought of one lo uh, lower school and even down into primary um free resource that I think is amazing and that's uh DK find out I was just about to say the same thing Darling. <laughs> yes, Darling. um I use it I use it from you know sort of middle of primary but because many of our students are new to English even in secondary yeah it's very, the, the, very accessible. Yeah, that lower, certainly um, lower level, uh, year seven, eight students could, could it's quite accessible for them too, I would it suggest. It is, yeah, it is, it is. Um, and then some of our paid subscriptions I also buy for, for primary. So we've got things like QFiles, which is a great paid resource. It's, 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 Actually, QFiles is not that expensive. It's not, it's £100 a year. Yeah, you know, and, so. and it's equivalent of, it's, it's a, so we used to subscribe to Britannica yeah. online and, and you know, what you were saying about the American uh, slant, Britannica online does that, whereas QFiles is British and UK yeah. based. Yes, Perfect. brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. Um, but I would also say that the um, the junior, um, so we've got a Britannica, a Britannica subscription for the whole school. So we have access to the three different levels. So you've got basically primary, secondary yeah. and top end of, of sort of um, post 16 right into university level. And I do think that the the, the junior version of that is particularly it's good. good. And because, again, uh, as I mentioned, we deal with a lot of students who uh, are learning English. Um, some of the features that it has, like being able to listen to the text, yeah, um, is great. Yeah. 
And even though it is reliant on Google Translate, the fact that you can translate it into pretty much any language is really helpful, at, at the very least for students who arrive with us with no English. Fantastic. Even, even if the translation isn't entirely grammatically correct in another language, at the very least, you can start getting, you know, getting the student involved in, in their learning and, yeah. and then you can take it from there. And we also use things like Microsoft Translate, which are particularly um, powerful, actually. Uh, we, use, we use Microsoft Translate in all sorts of ways. We use it. Um, students have it switched on on their laptops while the teacher is talking so that they can um, so that they hit, see a translation as, as the teacher's talking. Yeah. We use it in written documents. We use it all over the school in all sorts of different ways. And that's that's very good to use if you if you don't know how to use it. Fantastic. Okay, so I've just noticed that it's five to eight. How you know it's amazing how conversations just can can flourish. Um, so I just want to take this opportunity to promote my membership at this point. So to any school um, that's looking for ways to support collaboration between teachers and librarians, um, I help uh, boost independent learning, literacy, and well-being through your school library. So if you're not sure how to make this happen, my membership program offers training and support for school librarians and teachers to create opportunities to engage across the whole curriculum. You can find more information in the link in the show notes below. So just before we go tonight, I just want to ask you all one final question. So if you have one piece of advice about buying online resources for school librarians, what would you finish with? And I'm going to start with you, Gareth, if that's all right. Oh, that's it. Um, I, I, I'm going back to what I said earlier, is you, if you, you need, to, need to find the resource. It has to be going to have an impact on your teachers and students, and it has to be good value for money. Perfect. Brilliant. Nice way to finish. Thank you, Gareth. Ruth, what about you? I'm going to be really controversial and say that I think you should save your very limited budget if you have a very limited budget for books, as there are so many really good free resources. The one thing that I think that wasn't mentioned and I absolutely love is what's provided by our county council libraries that you know huge amounts of magazine online books audio books newspapers and i think it's a completely untapped resource and while it's there and remains free i think we all ought to use it and be promoting it to everybody so Absolutely. i think you know if i had to choose sub online paid subscriptions are the one thing that i can live without um in fact it makes the students work harder at their research not to have them Perfect. Brilliant. Thank you, Ruth. And what about you, Claire? What would you finish with? Well, like Ruth, I was going to um, suggest look at what your public library offers. Um, <laughs> partly because if you have got a limited budget and you might only have the budget to buy one or two things and then you discover that your public library already offers. I know, for example, uh, my school is across Ealing and Henslow um, uh, boroughs, so we can actually use both. And I know that both of our public libraries locally um, offer Britannica. Um, and, and they offer a range of other really good sources. So they, they offer press reader. So there's your magazines and your newspapers. And um, if you go into a public library, you also get access to, is it called Research for All? or Which you have to be in the library to, to use. But again, that offers a you know, wide range of academic sources. But... Yes, if you if you're if you're having to be very selective, then select around what's already available to you. 
Perfect. Brilliant. Sabrina, I don't want to ignore you. Do you want to finish by saying? Well, yeah, I mean, what everybody else has said, but, you know, look at your money, look at what you need. Obviously, your library does need books, so that takes priority. If you've got some money left over to invest in something, try it first. And if you can get some students to try it, that's what I did with Bedrock, Bedrock Learning. And their response to it was actually much better than my response. So, you know, if you've got the spare cash, try, try and try. Use all those free trials. Perfect. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Gareth, Claire, Ruth and Sabrina. It's been really interesting to chat with you and I hope that it's given people a little more understanding about what is available online. Um, as always, if you'd like to comment on anything that you've heard this evening, we'd love to hear your thoughts in the chat below. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so, if you, so you don't miss out on future discussions. Thank you for listening and good night.